We're on our way back to Virginia from Maine. It was a terrific, terrific getaway. And we're doing it on a day, September the 11th, which to borrow from FDR is a day that will live in infamy. There are very few times that our shores have been invaded and we've been attacked by foreign enemies. And we have had domestic terrorism we think of McVeigh in Oklahoma, and we think of January the 6th when it was an effort to usurp our government and take it over and make an unworthy, unlawful person, Mr. Trump, the President of the United States, when he lost the election. But today is 9-11, and on that day, now 20 years ago, I was working on the Hill. I was chief of staff to Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. And the day of the attack, I just left my daughter off in Northwest Washington. And I was uh, driving around the Lincoln Memorial, headed toward the Cannon House office building on the Hill where I worked. And as I came around the memorial, I saw this huge mushroom-like cloud in Virginia. I didn't know what it was. I called my office and unusually, not every television <laughs> was on. In fact, none were on. And nobody seemed to know anything about what was going on. What we should have known was that New York had already been attacked, the Twin Towers, and that what I saw had something to do with the attack on the Pentagon. So I probably saw the instant of the attack. So when I drove to the hill, and I had a parking spot in a garage, as I drove into the garage going down a ramp, everybody was coming out. It was like a bad monster movie. And then I carry a litigation bag, so I'm dragging the litigation bag, and I'm going up ramps to my office in the Cannon House office building. Everybody's coming toward me and leaving the Cannon House office building. When I got to our offices in Cannon, and I opened the door, the entire staff is at the door saying, what should we do, what should we do? And they're telling us to evacuate. And I looked at them with eyes as big as saucers, and it was clear to me that there was only one thing they could or would want to do, and that was to evacuate. And I said, well, if they're telling you to do that, you may, I'm not gonna ask you to stay here, but I wanna warn you that you're gonna go outside and everybody is gonna be in the streets, and there are going to be police trying to regulate it. No one's going to go anywhere. Um, and there's a Mexican restaurant nearby, and if you have to leave, I'd go sit there for a while. And so then I walked back to my office, and several followed me and said, what are you doing? Aren't you leaving? And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, why? I said, have you seen the broadcasts? 
it's Americans fleeing buildings all over Washington, all over the United States, the reports are of Americans on the run. That's just wrong. That's really wrong. I said, well, aren't you concerned about them, you know, attacking you? And I said, well, they're not going to attack me personally. And, you know, they could be stupid, but I don't think they're going to try to blow up the Cannon House office building. And I think if more people thought that way about what the likely targets were, and they realized they had to be reasonable and they had to be planned in advance, they would make the same decision. Now, the members of Congress stayed away, even though some staff stayed in place, as I did. And that was a big, uh, that was a big mistake because leadership involves taking what I thought was a minimal risk to show the profile of a nation and its members by not taking it lying down. And I was upset and uh, I thought it was wrong. And at the end of the day, all of the members of Congress who had been hiding when it was safe came out and they stood on the steps of the Capitol and they sang a patriotic ditty. I just thought it was uh, impossible to embrace intelligently. Also, when you saw the early film and you saw Bush W. down in Florida with elementary school children, he sat there and somebody whispered in his ear, interrupting his reading to the elementary school children. And his face, his soul left his body. He sat there as a husk, a husk of indecision, a husk without any feeling, anger, sympathy, anything. He was just there, which is the problem with our leaders, not just with W. And then finally he left, and what did he do? He was convinced by Cheney to let Cheney run the whole affair, and he went to ground and disappeared. On what, the theory that we have to protect the president who has no idea how to lead us? And Cheney made certain decisions that were questionable about whether or not you should shoot down planes and things like that, American planes. And um, when the dust settled, the heroes were those people on the ground in New York and those in D.C. and who went to the Pentagon to try to help get people out of the rubble. And uh, a lot of people were saved, but a lot of people died. And the second, if you will, wave of deaths came because of the terrible gases and fumes and soot in the air that people were breathing without realizing that they were human, organic, and that this would have effect on them, an adverse effect on them that they would realize over the years ahead. And that's why a fund was set up for them. Now, what should have happened after that? Well, there should have been a diagnosis better of why we didn't know about this. Uh, some people are talking today like, uh, oh, it just came out of the blue. Well, we had been adventuring in the Middle East and or it, we had had a valid foreign policy there. But in either case, whichever way you structure it, we had been in the Middle East, in their lands, uh, trying to accomplish certain things we thought were the good for the region and for America. And we had already had an experience in which they tried to bring down the World Trade Center years earlier. So, and there were prosecutions about that very thing. 
so it's not like we should have been flat-footed. And there was uh, a story of, a, of an FBI agent who uh, anticipated there was going to be an attack. And it was in a briefing that went to W, who was on vacation in August, and uh, nobody acted upon it. So going forward, what is Congress going to do? Well, I was then working with the Judiciary Committee in addition to my role as Chief of Staff. And uh, there were long meetings, and it was the first time since the impeachment effort against Bill Clinton that the Judiciary Committee, it seemed to me, pulled together and came up with a package that incrementally created uh, provisions that would have addressed what happened on 9-11. But the White House wasn't having it. It wanted to squelch and compromise and diminish the individual rights and liberties of Americans with a bill that involved, well, not infinite surveillance, but all sorts of very loose surveillance. And we've, it's haunted us in the years since. And the problem with it was that it was pushed through the Senate, embarrassing the Democratic members of, don't you want to do something? And then the initials spelled out Patriot Act. So how could you be against patriotism? And the House Judiciary Committee had uniformly agreed, 100% unanimously, on a bill that they were going to put before the House to vote on, which was the parallel and contradictory version of what had passed the Senate. And it was uh, moved by the Speaker of the House, Hastert, who substituted the Senate bill for it. And there were only two versions of it on the floor. And it's one of those things in which I've said in speeches since that you should really read the bill because nobody in Congress did. There was no way. In fact, John Conyers, when it was on the floor, uh, he said about just that. He said, nobody has read this bill. Nobody could read it. There were handwritten edits, all sorts of things that would be wrong with it. And when this tragic act was happening, it was so depressing to me. And as I did from time to time, I went for a run. And it was in the dark. And it was, <laughs> of course, it should be in the dark of night that we vote for such a bill. So I went for a run from the hill up to the Lincoln Memorial. It's a decent distance. And it's, you know it doesn't take so much time that it can interfere with name your emergency that would come up. And when I got up to the reflecting pool right below the memorial to Lincoln, there was a group gathered and they were telling stories of people they cared about and how they were lost, missing, dead, compromised in hospitals, what it was like. And they had been in New York and now they were down here. Or they had been at the Pentagon and now they were there. And there was uh, what you think of as happening, if you will, as soulful demonstrations, the people were, uh, they had candles and uh, they would hold hands and they would talk to each other. And the contrast was striking between the warlords at the other end of the avenue who were doing war as much or more against the people of the United States by ref reflecting on the insecurity they were visiting upon the citizens of the United States by taking their individual rights and liberties away. And to contrast that with these people who were close to the incident and who'd experienced it and knew something about it. And so they all told stories. And I, went, I ran back, uh, you know, after sitting with them a while to the Hill in time for the vote. 
And uh, I was heavy with a sadness that gripped everybody that day in various ways for different reasons. And it was, there was a sadness in America about how we'd handled the event and how we failed to anticipate it. Now, it did bring Americans together, but gradually we saw the effect of it. Now we're invading Iraq, and we're doing that because the Bushes are evening a score against Dad, the senior Bush. And then when we get there, we're looking for weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist. And there were members of the Senate, and I think one member of Congress, who voted against the authority to do this war because they didn't trust what uh, Bush said. And Powell went before the United Nations and basically lied to them about what the evidence was of weapons of mass destruction. And anybody who disagreed with the party line was punished by the administration because they just didn't want to let it happen. And by some stretch in various ways, we ended up not just in Iraq, but in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And as everyone knows, it's taken us 20 years to decide to leave Afghanistan on the questionable reason we were there in the first place. So the years have passed, and what have we learned? Well, it seems that what we've learned is to double down on the things that made no sense. That is, further invasions by surveillance and others of individuals' personal information and lives, and compromising them. Now, we didn't handle this intervention by foreign terrorists well, and it doesn't seem that we handled the domestic terrorism of only several weeks ago. My question is, why don't we ever learn? The historian Santayana said that uh, if you don't study history, you're bound to repeat it. Well, people study it and they just say, well, we're different, I'm not that way. Also, you cannot underestimate how we are compromised by leaders who believe more like, well, I just want to do it. And I'm just going to do it. It'll work out differently for me. And I don't care. It's in my personal interest to do it. And they would never say it that way. They always invoke some lie, like in every war that's ever been, with few exceptions, that this is always a war of self-defense. Whatever the war is, we're defending ourselves. We're not aggressors. This is, and even a preemptive strike is a preemptive strike because we know they're going to attack us. Well, why don't we have that view toward those people on January the 6th who sought to overthrow our government and to replace the duly elected winner of that election, Joe Biden, with a person who lost miserably and was a miserable president who's compromised America in so many ways that we're still trying to get over it. And we have a test coming up. And the test is that on January, excuse me, on September the 18th, those who demonstrated on Capitol Hill are coming back. We've taken down the fences, and these people are going to claim that those rioters are really political prisoners. Now, talk about turning the truth upside on its head. And if we are not checking every person for guns, if we are not examining why and how these people got a permit to have this demonstration, we are failing the American people. 
because as resilient as the Americans, the people are, our government is not so resilient. It's kind of a stiff vehicle. And right now it's in paralysis. We see in the House and the Senate that what are they doing? They're frozen. They move in inches. They talk about successes but never achieve them. The nation is awash in big talk and little action, whether it be on the Democratic side and it be the ability to deal with the closure on the Hill or the inanimate Garland as our Attorney General, or on the Republican side in which flat out McConnell, the minority leader in the Senate, said we're, we're going to stop everything they want to do. And in the House, minority leader in the House, same thing. So it is now, as it has always been in America, that the people make the difference. Just as those individuals, law enforcement, medical personnel, civilians, and others, took enormous risks to try to save whomever they could. It was we the people, not an elected official, who did that. And that's what's going to happen on September the 18th as well. We the people are going to make it right, not the administration, not the elected officials. Although they may be pulled into the vortex of action by the people, they don't seem to be able to start themselves to do it. That's the tragedy of America. Because the Republicans, however wrong they may be, are active-oriented. And the Democrats, however much they talk about how bad things are, they fail to act almost at all. And what are the levers in which they could act? There are the courts. There are hearings. There are reports. There is censure. There is expelling people for Congress. Why aren't we seeking to prosecute the people in Texas who would take away the constitutional rights of a pregnant woman? Why aren't we dealing with racism in America, though we claim we were going to go out and do something? Can you name anything they've done anywhere? No, you can't, because it hasn't happened. They're all talk and no action. So we the people have to resolve on this day, so many years ago, 20 years ago, to do better than our leaders, because without us, they fail to do what they must. So those are a couple of thoughts I have taking myself back to Virginia. I hope all is well with you, and we'll return to our regularly scheduled uh, podcast or show uh, a week from now. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye.